You believe we have preferences, right? As human beings, that we have innate preferences. Do you agree yes. with that? Okay. I know. I know. So if you where were, where are those? Okay. Okay. Yeah. Where are those like preferences coming from? Who cares if you have a preference for ice cream and I have a preference for cheesecake? What the heck does that have to do with free will? Why is a set of options vanilla, mm -hmm. strawberry, or chocolate instead of shit? Mm -hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. There's a reason why you don't want to eat shit. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Radius of Reason. This is episode 27. My name is Andre, and as, as always, I'm joined by my very handsome co-host, Levon. Today, we have got an er interview for you with the author, David Lawrence, who recently published the book, Are We Biochemical Robots? And this is a fascinating book because it's actually arguing for free will in contrast to Sam Harris and Robert Sapolsky, all the big names now arguing for determinism. So uh, it's it's a really, really good heated debate where we explore both sides of the issue. I think you guys will enjoy it. David, if tomorrow we found undeniable proof that free will does not exist, what crime would you commit first? Well, the first thing I have to say is that would never happen. Nobody's ever going to find that determinism is true. There's no way of proving it. We can go into it, but it has to do with uh, uh, determinist claims being self-contradictory. So it, it, it's never going to happen. Hypothetically, if it were to happen, I'm squeaky clean. I come from LA. I come from California. <laughs> we don't commit crimes. We just kick back and watch the Grateful Dead. Not not this coastal elitism bullshit again. Come on. Oh, Come on, Dave. No, I wasn't implying anything <laughs> whatsoever. You're asking seriously if, if I think that there would be an ongoing moral sense, moral intuition, would I behave morally? I would say yes, if that's, if that's part of what you're asking with that question. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, like, what would what would guide your desire to be moral? Like, what what is that you choosing to do that because you are a person of outstanding character, or is it because you're afraid of consequences? You're afraid of of the punishment that will be inflicted on you by society. Well, whether I'm of outstanding character depends on who you ask. Okay, but uh, I think we all have an ingrained moral sense call it an intuition and it's very hard to violate that i mean we all act the way we've been uh uh, uh i want to say conditioned to act but we've grown up in a culture and we have influences and so forth i don't think anybody could just abandon that by hearing academically speaking we don't have free will hey everybody hope you're enjoying the interview if you determine that you like this show make sure to like our all right you were determined to say that no we're not doing retakes this is this is the subscribe break subscribe to radius of reason hit us up on twitter at radius underscore of sorry x um and leave a comment stupid like whatever you want to do feed the algorithm back to the show but but, but david you did point to studies in your book mm -hmm. that showed when people are primed with mm -hmm. Uh, you know, maybe some argument or, or something of that, that produces the thought that they lack agency, that they commit like a, a less moral 
crime. Yeah, I think you've sort of blended together two different lines of studies. So let's separate them for a second. There is a line of studies that says you can fool people. You can fool people into thinking they did things that they didn't. Pretty much similar to hypnosis. And Harris uses that to say, well, you see, our feelings of free will are mistaken because in this kind of laboratory settings, we can fool people. That, that's one line of studies. The other line of studies, I think is what you're talking about that has to do with uh, uh, priming people to think that determinism exists or that free will exists. And then they set up situations where they can cheat and they tell them, please not, don't cheat and that, that and so forth. And they find out that in fact, those primed with determinist beliefs are more prone to cheat, more prone to exhibit antisocial conduct and vice versa. Those studies are separate from the, the we can fool you and your sense of agency studies. Okay, fair. Now, um, let's, I guess before we get ahead of ourselves here, yeah. maybe define free will so we can kind of set the base parameters of the discussion. Like how, how, what is your definition? Like a common definition is, you know, you could have done otherwise, right? Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Yeah, that's the common definition and it's the common sense definition, the ordinary definition. And just to tease it out a bit, a little bit, it means what's pretty obvious. Uh, we can form intentions, we can make decisions, we can take actions consistent with those, and we can influence the world. And that's the ability to choose otherwise. We can choose to do this or not choose to do this. Now that's called libertarian free will, nothing to do with the political movement. It's called libertarian free will because it's the only kind of free will definition where we have the liberty, the real liberty, to do otherwise. And that's the common sense view. Okay. Now, <clears throat> I'm curious um, what you think of free will in terms of it being a coherent concept, because every time I try to break it down, I, I, I think of it in terms, I, when I think about what a decision is, right, um, especially what a meaningful decision is, I, I like to break it down into parts. And the only part that seems relevant to me is reason. So if you have a pie chart of what goes into a decision, decision, again, so a certain sliver is is the actual rationale. Uh, another sliver may be something that is random or arbitrary, right? Just happenstance or just pure, just genetic luck or, or whatever it is. Um, and then I'm failing. To, so. I am failing to see what free will adds in the decision-making process. Because again, when we think about what a meaningful decision is, we don't think of it as something that is arbitrary or random. We think of it as something that is intentional because it serves a purpose, but the purpose only makes sense in relation to something logical or reasonable, right? Um, and, and, and so I, I guess I'm curious, how do you, how do you view free will if we're thinking of this pie chart as an mm -hmm. analogy? Well, there's two ways to go about this. Um, we have to make a distinction between influence and control. So there's a lot of things that go into a decision that are influences. Harris and Sapolsky would say that they control us. 
but absent any evidence, and uh, they don't have any, uh, their influence. Now, there, there's a scale of influences, right, from, from trivial to overwhelming. So a lot of the factors that you're talking about are influences. They're not controlling you. They're not taking away your free will. Now, you could you go under anesthesia, there's an influence that's going to take away your free will. You get drunk and so forth. So there's a lot of situations in which influences can be overpowering, but I don't think those are the kind that you're talking about. So the first thing is to make the influence control distinction. Okay. The second thing, and you're echoing a, an argument that Harris makes in the book uh, in a few places, is that if we can't tell why we did something, if we can't articulate the reason why we did something, then we don't have free will. And, and what I think that confuses, and I think it's part of what you're asking, you tell me, is that choices and reasons aren't the same thing, and they can't be confused. Harris confuses them. They're different. You can have 10, choice, uh, 10 decisions for a given decision. You can have 10 decisions not to do it or any kind of combination. But the decision is the decision. Reason informs the decision, but reason doesn't make you make the decision, and it isn't the decision. The decision is the decision, it's the commitment. So I think part of what your question is, is can we tease out the difference between choice and decision and the reasons why you make a decision? Because if you have good reasons on both sides, what's making you make the decision? And if you go one step farther, who's valuing the relative weight of all those decisions? Well, it, arguably, it isn't a determined robot. It's got to be valued by somebody who's outside of those reasons, not dictated by the reasons, and valuing them. And another way of defining choice or decision is a decision is valuing the reasons. It's giving relative weight to the reasons and acting on the one it fi finds most valuable. It's not the reasons. And that's what I'm trying to uh, uh, sort of separate in your question, because I think part of your question assumes that they're the same thing. I could be wrong. I, so I, Andre, it seems like I had a thought. I, I can let you go first before I... Well, I, want, I wanted to offer up a point of clarification that ultimately I think listeners would want to distill your argument within that paradigm. Are you making the case that free will is in essence the ability to discern between various courses of action independent of influence or... Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> no, no. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, that's exactly what I'm not saying. I, I wasn't clear. The first part of what I said, my first response to Levon, <clears throat> was that you have to distinguish between free will and influences, but you have dozens of them. And if your question was, am I saying that there's no influence? No, there's, there's dozens of influences that we have every moment. That doesn't mean so, we're controlled by those things. It means we're influenced by them. So I, I think semantically it can start to get tricky. Um, I, I, I see the distinctions that you're trying to make, but I'm not entirely sold on them because, for example, you know, one of the things you just mentioned was, you, you know, if you have a set of choices, you need something like almost external to kind of weigh those options and make the selection. But this is really not the case when you look at any sort of algorithmic system where you can keep like a, a scorecard for what decision or, or um, output or, or, or weight you put on a certain thing to produce an output. 
And, and we see this actually pretty clearly now. I mean, ChatGPT is a great example of the power of algorithmic processes. Um, they recently added a, a feature where you can, you know, uh, you can talk to it with voice, right? Um, and it'll respond with voice. And once you get it going, I mean, again, this is a purely algorithmic process that gives almost an identical impression of agency and its ability to choose the proper response, weighing it based on several possibilities. I mean, that's what the machine learning is doing, right? Um, <clears throat> excuse me. So, so I'm not entirely sold on those distinctions, but, but I want to, I want to make this more concrete because it can get difficult to stay in the abstract realm. It can get difficult for the, for the listeners or anyone who's thinking about these subjects, myself included, um, when we, when we keep it in the abstract realm. So the way I look at it is we're evolved creatures, right? I mean, you believe in evolution, right? I, I imagine. Yes. I, when I, Take a vacation in Kansas, I don't, but today I'm in LA. <laughs> right. Well, I'm not too far from Kansas, so I, I, I totally feel you on that. Uh, <laughs> but when, when I think about the decisions that human beings make, right, everything seems to be based on our evolutionary predispositions. And, and you, you know, you talk about influence versus control. But the way I look at it is the entire context is set by, you know, our evolved, adapted minds to survive and reproduce. And everything more or less stems from those fundamental principles. The context itself, I think, provides <clears throat> when, when, when you have the when you start to add up all the elements that contribute and make up the context. It limits the the range of options to the point that I don't see where actually free will is needed because the the entire function of the brain as an algorithm is more or less to reduce um, to reduce the context to something manageable. And of course, when we're conscious, you know, we, we're typically only thinking of a few few options that have kind of been filtered out at, you know, from the subconscious level. Um, and I guess what I'm trying to say is mm -hmm. our, our, from, from our most mundane decisions, like <clears throat> eating, right? Like you, you eat because you're hungry, you drink because you're thirsty to our most complex decisions. You, the, the, the person you choose to spend your life with, to, to mate with, right? I mean, these are all, have like I, to to say it's just context and influence i think is a massive understatement because if it were just a suggestion then why don't we see people right, right like choosing you know the dumbest laziest ugliest mates right like no one goes out of their way to do that they what, what they tend to do in every single circumstance to the best of their abilities, provided their specific context is choose what seems to be the best that they can do, right? Like, and, and it all follows a certain rationale. So like, I'm trying to understand what, what added layer of meaning does free will provide? 
when someone, for example, is attempting to choose a mate, when the algorithm, you know, can more or less output the uh, a, a a good option or the correct option, what have you. Does that make sense? I kind of went roundabout a little bit, but. <clears throat> well, I'm not sure whether I should go back to the beginning about evolution or start with where you ended up, but, but, but finding the best mate, I mean, you're talking about some huge conceptual and biological frameworks. What does that mean? Who's the most attractive? I, I mean, there's no such thing. There's not like lining up. That's the most attractive. That's the best you can get. As well, if you... there are there are a few indicators that biologically we would agree upon. Signify. I'm, I'm trying to dance around my words here, but but they, but they signify certain things that maybe on an evolutionary scale are more attractive, quote unquote. Sure. Right. Um, the, the the capacity for somebody to to be healthy enough to bear children, uh, the, mm -hmm, the capacity mm -hmm. for somebody to be healthy enough to um, to sustain a community, things along those lines. Like there are certain pieces of programming that could be vis-a-vis -vis equated to attractiveness if we had to break it down to that. Yeah, Sapolsky gives an example of of, of people with symmetrical faces <laughs> are like better, go farther. You know, who would tell? That's one of those unconscious influences. But the question again is, are they influences or controls? I mean, you, you have so many choices among who is the quote, uh, best mate. Evolution ain't gonna tell you that. Mm -hmm. You got all kinds of decisions to make. And there's many other influences that go into that besides biology and evolution. Upbringing, experiences with blondes versus vignette. You, you, we, we can spin out a billion of them. But, right, that but that's all but, but, none of that precludes, but, precludes the role for free will. It just says that you have to choose within parameters. And one of the parameters are, is, are, is our biological heritage, among other things. And as you say, uh, Levon, it's the, the, the drive to replicate, to have our genes propagate as far as possible. I wanted to bring it back maybe one more like level in the discussions of like evolution, evolutionary impetus and, and choosing a partner. Um, Sapolsky spent a lot of time studying baboons and certain observations, I guess we can make. And with a level of human hubris, we say that we are different than the baboons that Sapolsky once observed from, from a standpoint of mate selection, what differentiates us from like the primal level that we think about when we think about, you know, primates in the wild, what factors give us an extra level of control over the selection process? And could that be used to make the argument in favor of free will versus, I mean, do you think baboons have free will? Let's start there. <laughs> yeah, I, th I think all, um, certainly mammals and higher level creatures have some level of free will. It's certainly not conceptual in the sense that ours is. Um, but I mean, my gosh, I mean, there's, there, there's a lot of things that animals do. If you take a look at some of the stuff that's pretty damn complex and interesting and, and purposeful. And uh, uh, we, we have uh, more evolved abilities. Although, since we're the only ones, sorry, catfight, since we're the only ones who have the ability to kind of annihilate the whole planet, you could, you <laughs> have to define evolve in various different ways. But but, but yeah, I think there's, it, it, it's a scale. It's not, you know, zero to 60. And, and I think, uh, yeah, lots of animals have free will. My dogs certainly do. My cats. Are... 
I, so, so David, I, I do want to go back to an earlier point that you made and it was regarding like, okay, evolution provides kind of, you know, uh, a set of options for us. And then you're still saying, okay, we have to do the choosing. Mm -hmm. My question is mm -hmm. why, like, why would the algorithm stop there? Right? Mm -hmm. Like, why don't you let the algorithm finish, finish the course? Right? So oh. you, you, it, to me, it seems a bit like special pleading. Um, and, and the way I think about this is that um, evolution is more or less programming us like an algorithm. And so the same well, algorithm that produces the same algorithm that produces the set of options, it, it's the same logic that you would continue to use to narrow it down more and more and more and more up until you get, you know, one answer. And so just because it's complex, just because you have the experience of weighing multiple options, mm -hmm. to me, it's not something that necessarily suggests that we have free will. Again, you know, Sam Harris likes to point this out and I think it's an interesting thought experiment. I don't think it disproves free will, but like, where are these thoughts coming from? Why, why do I find her attractive? Why do I find her voice attractive? Sure. I didn't, you know, it, it, it's purely accidental that I met her, but you know, I, I find her figure more attractive than this girl's. I, I just have a chemistry with her, right? Like, where's all that coming from? Why can't I choose to have a chemistry with anyone that I want? Because then that would be a pretty free choice, right? But that never happens, right? That that just yeah, I didn't you know. agree with that at all. <laughs> but, but where do we start? Let, let me go back for one <clears throat> second because I said something that I want to qualify for a second. I said, uh, uh, you know, my animals have free will: dogs and cats, mammals, so forth. Let me qualify it because I think whether we have it or not, and we can get to that, isn't as simple as yes or no. And so I'm not I'm not implying, and I did imply that in fact, we have it and they have it. What I was trying to say, and Andre just tricked me into it, is that if we have it, baboons have it or chimpanzees and are not to the same degree in different ways, different influences and so forth, different weight of bio biological factors and all of that. So I wanna, I wanna defer the question, unless you wanna get into it now, about whether I'm saying we actually have it because that's not my position. Certainly not entirely. So wanted to clear that up for a second. Now, go back to what you were saying. Again, there was a lot in there and I'm not sure where to focus, but one of the things you said, well, well, paraphrasing, uh, you can correct me, was something like, well, you know, we're programmed by all of this biological stuff. And I don't think we are. That, that That's begging the question. That's the question. Are we programmed by all that stuff? No, are no, no, no. So, uh, go ahead. Oh, God, that's very loud. My God, that I, is incredible. <laughs> Why didn't you listen? Okay, so I, let, let me let me rephrase a section of of, of what I had brought up. So, mm -hmm. the, the the same algorithm, right, that produces this context, which you agree, you know, you're calling it influence or or whatever, but the same algorithm that produces this context where we can, if we had free will, select from a set of options. What I'm saying is, why wouldn't this, why wouldn't, why would evolution stop there? Why wouldn't it just follow through with that same algorithmic process and end up with the best option? Because the logic 
to go from a thousand options to 10 is the same from 10 to one. Well, what's, what, what do you mean by the best option? I mean, there well, is the no best option. Well, I mean, it, or why do you, let's what do we mean? I don't know. Like, why do you assume there's a best <laughs> option? I mean, serious, because all options have a whole bunch of factors that you're going to weigh one against the other. The algorithm well, weighing those factors isn't assigning relative weight to all those factors. But it is. That's how you make. But that is how you make decisions, right? Well, like, otherwise, you would have. Otherwise, your decision would be totally arbitrary, right? You, you like if well, your definition. But, but, okay, so if, if your decision isn't based on a reason, then why mm -hmm. is it not arbitrary? Because it's based on the will. I mean, again, I'm not. I'm. I, I want to give the free how, will. Time how is how is the will uh, different from? How is it distinct from purely an arbitrary? selection is what i'm failing to grasp well arbitrary or probable is there's no reason for this or <clears throat> there's no explanation there's no telling you can't forecast it's not it's just what happens happens the will if it exists if it's a free will uh is something that controls or directs one's intentions and to some degree within limits and constraints influences physical reality so there's nothing random or probable about it, unless you have the theory that that's all based on probabilities, which is the so, question we're talking I mean, in the example of choosing a mate, um, a partner, mm -hmm. you can have the biological mm -hmm. foundation of being attracted to somebody based off of either evolutionary psychology, based off of, I don't know, previous trauma associated with redheads, whatever, but you can still choose <laughs> to go against whatever arbitrary series of rules that have been deployed into your into your existence, right? Just because you might find somebody's tone of voice attractive and they might be the most perfect person on like a primal physical level for you, it doesn't mean you necessarily are gonna go make that selection. Is that an expression of free will in that sense then? Well, first of all, let's back up one second. There's no algorithm that anybody has ever traced that says I'm gonna pick up my coffee right now. There's just no such thing that's ever been shown or proven. If there was, we wouldn't even be having this debate. There is no scientific evidence whatsoever <laughs> that we well, are determined at this moment to pick up this glass. Now you can say, well, okay, but there's these biological drives and I have to uh, drink and I have to eat and those are conditions and those are influences. <laughs> but let's not assume as a groundwork for this discussion that wait a second, there's this algorithm that's, that's controlling us. If that were the case, the issue would be resolved. We could all go home and turn on Netflix or Showtime. It's not the case because nobody has any kind of evidence or proof like that. D so, David, uh, you can't. Yeah, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. Well, to go back to Andre's question, um, you were saying, okay, you've got all these inputs, right? Biological and otherwise. Uh, uh, you have all these conditions. We have to make choice if we have it within a whole number of circumscribed conditions and factors we didn't create them we didn't control them that's that's one of harris's big refrains to which the answer is we don't have to in fact we need influences and constraints they're not they're our friends they're not our enemies they don't extinguish free will they make it possible because reality has to be structured and without influence and constraints and boundaries we're living in a vacuum. What are we going to run on? I mean, what are we going to put our shoes on? So circumstances are constraints and limits, just like biology and every other condition, how tall you are and so forth. 
to go back to what you're saying. Okay, we got all that stuff, right? All those factors and all. And I think you were saying, you correct me, that that even though you have all that stuff in the free will paradigm, you still have some modicum of control. Nothing mm -hmm. within all those degree of influences is going to tell you exactly what to do. Now, you can mm -hmm. say it's random, but then we get into the contradictory truth claims and we can come back to that. Okay. But mm -hmm. yes, that's the free will paradigm that we have loads of influences. They're floating around. We know some of them. We don't know some of them. We look back on our actions and go, holy shit, that was an influence I didn't get. I didn't see that behavioral pattern. So all that stuff's going on and none of that precludes free will. It limits it. It restricts it. It constrains it. None of it precludes it. And there's no evidence that it precludes it. The fact that we have biological drives and we want to find someone and make the best decision and all that, what does that have to do with anything about free will? Nothing. It just says that we have to choose within parameters that we didn't create because we're not these sort of floating around beings. We are living in circumstances that have biology and bodies and physical laws of the universe and so forth. I'm not sure I answered your question, Andre, but I think that's where it was you sort did. of like, go. You did. I, I think, I mean, you are continuously describing a certain playing field under which we have to operate. And I think, um, no, that makes sense. I, so, so, so David, uh, I, I do want to maybe reframe what I'm saying. And I sure. think it might shed some light on where I'm trying to get at here because you're saying we don't have any evidence of this algorithm, blah, blah, blah. Well, first of all, you know, we're, this is an incredibly complex and chaotic system that there's no way we're going to be able to predict. So just because we can't predict it doesn't mean it doesn't exist. That's kind of a God of the gaps type of argument. And I don't think, I don't think that's a sound objection against determinism. I'm not um, making I'm just saying we don't <laughs> have evidence of it. I mean, show me some evidence. Sure, sure. You, that so, determinist so, wants to argue <laughs> determinism. And Sapolsky shows all kind of evidence that has nothing to do with free will and nothing to do with determinism, then show me the evidence. Tell me what evidence I'm supposed to consider. But to say that there's an algorithm determining all behavior, that's just begging the question. It's like, where is it? Who's mapped it out? Nobody. So, so here's, okay, so I'll give you an evolutionary argument here. Again, it's not proving. I think prove is a very strong word in this scenario where we don't understand what consciousness is. Um, there, there's, a, you know, there's things that I agree with you, what you said in the book, where, you know, our current state of understanding, you know, it limits the, the confidence of the claims that we can make. But having said that, I think there's enough at this point in time to make some reasonable guesses and take some reasonable positions. Now, when it comes to, so when it comes to the idea of like, um, why maybe we should, it, like, like if we don't have evidence for free will or determinism, um, I think there is a principle that we can use to maybe choose one at this moment in time. Now, I don't believe that there's no evidence for determinism, but we can get back to that later. So mm -hmm. what I would say is from an evolutionary standpoint, there is no utility in, the evolution of free will when we know that purely algorithmic processes can get the job done. We know that basic algorithms can work in. Question in, again. Don't know. No, that. no, no. But, but hold, on, hold on, hold on. Let me let, let me let me finish. So, in worms, right? In in multi, in single-celled organisms, wh whatever. Like these are basic algorithms. We know at a biological level that they are simple enough for us to understand based on you know, their uh, 
<clears throat> sorry, their mm -hmm. reward systems. We understand kind of how they work. Mm -hmm. And so it's not far-fetched to extrapolate that to more complex systems. Now, of course, yes, there's emergent phenomena that can occur. But what I'm trying to say is if you take the hypothetical that an, uh, an algorithm can get the job done, why would evolution try to produce something extra to it? Because you already need an, we already kind of, I think, agreed that you need some sort of mechanism to produce the context, to produce the set of choices that you choose from. That is a biological algorithm, right? And no matter how complex it is, it is an algorithm. I wouldn't agree with that. Then, then, then what is it? Like, I mean, I, well, I guess talk about the circumstances we're in is, is, is a result, not just arguably of mechanistic forces of biology, but all kinds of decisions that you and I have made and our parents made and our neighbors made uh, to do this and to do that and to buy this and do that and to go there and educate there. That's all built into this, th these circumstances right now. Okay, there's there's no less there's no more evidence that it's uh, it's mechanical than it is a whole you, bunch of intentions interplaying you, you, with all of those you, influences and conditions. You, 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 you believe we have preferences, right? As human beings, that we have innate preferences. Do you agree yes. with that? Okay, I know. I know. So if you where are, where are those? Okay, okay. Yeah. Where are those like preferences coming from? Who cares? I mean, the, this, oh, this is it's not who cares. No, 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 no. It's not who cares. This is one of the points that Harris makes. And I think it's one of the dumbest points there is in the book, <laughs> which is that if you like, you can edit out dumb. Sorry, Sam. No, 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 no. no, no. It's you, good. I like it. I'm sending this to Sam Harris himself. Okay. Tell, give him my regards. <laughs> um, tell him he's a cool dude. And uh, I agree with everything he says, <laughs> except when he's talking about free will and morality. <laughs> so if you have a preference for ice cream and I have a preference for cheesecake, what the heck does that have to do with free will? We have, we have influences. We have taste and preferences. Those are just like forks in the road. They're internal conditions. They're internal influences. Just That's like we didn't. How is it? We're, we're driving on a road and there's a fork in the road and we have to make a decision. The fact that I like cheesecake, oh, I was liking the cheesecake, you like the, the, the ice cream, got confused there for a second. I can decide to have ice cream or cheesecake or have it or not have it. None of this has to do with, with dampening free will. We have preferences. But David, that's not, my, that's not my point. My point isn't. But it's my it isn't point. To argue, no, but that particular point that I made isn't about whether free will exists or not. The question is... If we have preferences, which we do, and you're saying they're kind of arbitrary and they don't matter, and I agree, right? It doesn't matter whether you prefer vanilla or chocolate, but that's not the point. The point is, why do you prefer vanilla? Why, why is a set of options vanilla, mm -hmm. strawberry, or chocolate instead of shit, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. There's a reason why you don't want to eat shit. And what I'm trying to say is, now, maybe somebody wants to eat shit. People right? have tried to I don't know. <laughs> Some people do. I don't mean to discriminate, but... In the leg. But, what, <laughs> but what, basically, the gist of what I'm saying is there is something happening mm -hmm. at a neurochemical level, and yeah. I'm saying it is, it is yeah. an algorithm that has been refined through millions and perhaps billions of years of evolution to produce... Mm -hmm. Even if we even if we say free will exists, 
to at least produce the context under which free will can operate. Now, the next That's step that I'm taking, exactly. but the, the next step I'm taking is, is saying, why stop there? You know, if you use Occam's razor, you say we should prefer the simpler explanation, right? And the simpler explanation is not that once we reach a set of 10 options, now free will evolves. It's the algorithm continues to refine the, the set of choices until more or less you you kind of default to the remaining choice, right? But, but, I, and but so I think David that, acknowledges that. Uh, David, if I'm wrong, I mean, you've already established the fact that we do have to operate within constrictions and parameters that we did not choose, we did not create. They are there. Like, I don't think he's rejecting evolutionary impulse or... Well, he's, re well, he's rejected the fact that there's an algorithm multiple times. And what I'm saying is there well, is... Okay, go ahead. I'm saying there is this algorithm, and I, I don't know that makes I don't... me this class at this pick, uh, <laughs> at this point in time. I so what I'm saying is why are you cutting the algorithm short at I the would free will juncture? Your, I would never cut your algorithm short. That is just <laughs> not in my nature. We can get to morality and so forth about that. Look, uh, let's go back to the taste bud thing and the preference because I'm getting hungry and I want some hot fudge. Okay, the <laughs> reason I like hot fudge is simple it's easy the chemicals in my taste buds are programmed to interact in a certain way with the substance and for me it produces a very pleasant sensation mixed with all the nerves and all the stuff going on that's why i like hot fudge but that's no different than having to turn left in a road that you didn't create and what does liking hot fudge have to do with the fact of me being determined. I don't have to have hot fudge. I can have a little, I can have a lot. I don't have to have it. I can try something new. The fact that I like hot fudge and my taste buds give my, me a pleasant sensation has nothing to do with free will. But, <clears throat> but you, again. you enjoying the hot fudge, you kind <laughs> of established the, the, the parameters by which that's not a phenomena that that is something that is occurring within you based off of your own like random genesis of this desire like there, there's a series absolutely absolutely but that, that doesn't mean we can't change our desires you want to smoke and you go to a program and you intervene and you change your desire so we change our desires all the time wisdom changes our desires you, you could it, 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 david if you were a pure algorithm i mean every example you're giving it would be indistinguishable right a pure algorithm running that calculation again we're talking about an, an insanely complicated algorithm where slight changes to the initial conditions are going to produce a vastly different result still an algorithm even though it can like, like i said with chat gpt you can talk to it it looks like it sure as hell has way more free will than a dog right so <coughs> again me. excuse me, me. but but always be dumb I, questions i, I just so. But, but but I think I, I think going back to like the taste bud example, the point isn't that, the, but well, the point isn't why why do you think Chat GBT has anything to do with free will? Because it has the, the it, appearance of it. Because it's been programmed to have the appearance of free will doesn't mean it's free will. I'm, doesn't mean it's consciousness. I'm only using it to demonstrate the power of pure algorithms. That's the, the only reason I'm bringing it up. I don't believe it has free will or anything like that. But, but the, the taste bud example, the issue I take with, with how you're framing this is what, mm -hmm. what I'm saying is, is not just applicable to the taste bud example, right? Where it is kind of arbitrary, like who cares if you like vanilla or chocolate? 
but you, the, the 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 same I, logic can be applied to <laughs> but the same logic can be applied to something significant like mate choice right the same logic um could be sure. applied to whether a judge uh whether a judge likes a particular face and how harsh of yes. a sentence he dishes out i mean there's a study where uh yeah. judges dish out you know harsher punishments before lunch yeah. than after yeah. uh we know That's we know true. that we know but that what, what does that have to do with free will i don't understand what that has to do with free will if you don't have lunch you get irritated we get irritated when our biological needs okay you just so you just so, david so you just defined it you, you just def david you just defined it lunch david you just defined it david you just defined an algorithm you just you said if you don't eat lunch you get irritated that is an algorithm and that's exactly well, the type you, of you thing you need to tell me what how you're defining algorithm that is the influence of biology and the fact that we live in a body and we have to eat because we have a metabolism that has to support us. Support inputs, us. outputs. I, what are you? Inputs, logic, outputs. But it's not, Levon, it's, it's not a one-to-one -one correlation. Like, I mean, yes, you, you may right. have that like statistical representation, but those aren't very good judges. You do also have exceptionally qualified judges that are able to set aside their like exactly. primal analytic exactly. desire to eat a cheeseburger well, and still rule in really accordance good. with like neutrally established legal parameters, right? Like, sure, not, they're it, just. It, 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 it's not yeah, like a because those tests are are statistical things. They're not saying how anybody's going to behave if they're hungry. By the way, question: Who forgot to eat lunch? Who decided they were in a rush and they weren't going to eat eat lunch? You you have to eliminate all the intentions and purposes to prove that we that we're determined so so but go back to the the statistical point for a second okay sapolsky keeps ignoring the fact that he throws one example after another that's about statistics and probabilities uh andre's exactly right the fact that 70 percent of the judges get irritable and their blood sugar plunges biological fact and they get harsh with anybody who doesn't have a symmetrical face okay is a statistic it doesn't mean that every judge is going to do it that way there's all kinds of judges now they're susceptible to their own influences within them but it proves nothing about free will that judge thing nothing well i, I well i i so i, I agree that we, i agree that when we don't have biological in, uh, uh, needs satisfied what does that have to do with free will I, I think it, it goes to show one example of how humans are influenced in subconscious ways in, 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 in ways that end up being very tangible, right? That end up defining yeah. who you are. And I, and I think the, the argument that Sapolsky makes is he looks at the entire landscape of influences. And so if you go back to the pie chart that I brought up at the beginning, you've got this pie chart. And as science progresses, we keep filling this pie chart with like, okay, Pre, we, we've got genetics, we've got prenatal environment, right? Stress in the prenatal environment causes insanely uh, mm -hmm. horrific effects that are well, like easily mm -hmm. measured apparently. Um, things like drops in IQ, uh, things like uh, anger management, right? And so mm -hmm. you start to fill this pie chart with all these things like, did I eat in the morning, right? Like uh, what pheromones have I kind of been sniffing? Or something I, I i don't know or um i mean all sorts of things and again like 
we're a chaotic system, so you're never going to have a perfect measurement in every, uh, 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 any phenomenon. You, don't you know can always say, well, science you can always chaotic system. That, that's a question mark, right? What, what did you say? Sorry? I said science doesn't say that we're a chaotic system. I mean, you're pronouncing that as if it's true. It's not, it's not any truth that science says. Um, there are some that opinions we are? people that, that, that we are, but that, that ain't like a billion miles from definitive. You are... So chaotic system, may, maybe I'm, I'm getting out of my depth here on the technical level, but if, if we are a differential equation that is full of a bazillion variables that ends up more or less becoming the same complexity as, a, as, as any sort of chaotic system that you could imagine, for all intents and purposes, it, 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 it is going to produce it is going to be more or less impossible to to predict right to, to actually solve this equation um mm -hmm. and to predict the outputs mm -hmm. so that's kind of what i'm trying to get at there but anyway so you're filling this pie chart with all these things with free will your point was that we are Sorry. a chaotic system and my point was that that has not been proven and that is not the scientific consensus and so you know you're speculating that some some physicists may believe that but certainly not most of them I, okay, I'll, let me take a step back. So, something that maybe you can accept is that we're an insanely complicated system. You would agree with that? We're a very, I, very complex system. Well, I, whether or not we're a system in the me mechanistic sense in which that word implies, <laughs> I can put aside and say we're complex. Whether or not we're okay. a system is okay. something else or whether we're a me mechanistic system, which I think is always your presumption in saying these kind of things. Um, it hasn't always been in this discussion, but it, it generally tends to be. Yes. But, but anyway, to go, to go back to the, this pie chart example, as we've been learning more about neurobiology, psychology, mm -hmm. evolutionary psychology, whatever, mm -hmm. we're filling in this pie chart with all these massive influences and if free will does exist, it seems like every year it's looking like it contributes less and less and less to the actual decisions that we're making. So, like, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I don't see that the pie chart's going in the direction <laughs> that direction. I think it's going in the opposite direction. Hmm. I mean, certainly, so? in, well, certainly in quantum mechanics, it's gone from a, a causal universe to to a split decision between a causal universe and a probabilistic universe so no no no, no, no that's, that's not true so so quantum mechanics just because we can't predict and we we can't make those measurements doesn't mean it's not a deterministic system we don't know if it is for sure but we <laughs> that's can't right. that's you, what i was thinking. but it, but but it becomes a i mean pie chart i, mean, I don't know pie, go back to your pie chart you're saying that that <clears throat> is getting filled up with more and more evidence of causation and causal relations. And as it gets more and more filled up, you know, the, the space for free will gets more and more constricted. And I'm saying, no, it just as well as going in the other direction. And one of but the reasons is because quantum <laughs> science knocked out the Newtonian notion of causation. And now we don't know if the universe is determined. We thought we did when Newton was running the show, but Newton ain't running the show anymore. And now we're confused about whether it's probabilistic, which permits free will, doesn't preclude it, or it's deterministic, which 
uh, precludes free will. So, so the pie chart, you may think it's going in that direction, but that's your interpretation of the I, pie chart because you can give yeah. examples of it going in the other direction. I, I don't grant you, I, I don't grant you that your, your premise there because so. They get they have free will. <laughs> okay, the cats have free will, but us, no. Well, yeah, no, I, I think that, yeah, that, but, that, that's in line. <laughs> So, 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 the, so here's the thing with the quantum mechanics. One, like we're talking about things at the quantum level and the, the interactions that are happening at a neurobiological level are, are not governed by quantum mechanics. So they are more, I mean, relatively speaking, they're like macroscopic phenomena. That, that again, that's, that, that is an, you say that as if there's a consensus among the scientific well, community that the macro there is, though, level is not governed by the micro bi level. That's a biochemistry, biochemistry, is n biochemistry at the level of neuronal firings is not governed by quantum mechanics. It's not governed by whether we can figure out the position of an electron, right? Whether we have tools no. that can uh, actually measure these things like that. To, to me, that's that that is a very like that. That's a huge stretch to start saying that's not what quantum science says. I mean, it's what some people believe based on some theory called decoherence that just as many people think is a bunch of nutty stuff. So these are my, my, my point is, Levon, that these these are really more open questions than I think you believe they are. And that there's no scientific consensus about cellular activity not being influenced by 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 micro um, uh, behavior from in, in quantum systems. That's just not known. Now, there are theories that they are and there are theories that there aren't. But if you want to talk about scientific consensus, you can't make statements as if it's just resolved. This is the case. Cells aren't influenced by, by, by elementary particles. Nobody knows if that's true. It's a theory. It's part of a, a family of theories that that's the case. So, but that's if fair. you start, if you start I, trying I, to introduce yeah. kind of like empirical measurements to it, then how, mm -hmm. I mean, mm -hmm. I, I think when Levon and I have debated this in the past, or we've talked about this in the past, ultimately speaking, what you start mm -hmm. running up against is, is one side, mm -hmm. uh, you know, arguing on behalf of determinism is going to be able mm -hmm. to provide a basis of uh, mm -hmm. empirical evidence to a certain extent, right? And, and Levan was kind of pointing this out with, with this pie chart analogy is mm -hmm. that more and more we're able to uh, define courses of action based off of factors that we're now able to measure, right? You know, as we mm -hmm. progress in our understanding of fetal health, we can, we can say that certain factors um, influence somebody as an adult that happens when they're in gestation, right? I mean, it, 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 it's, we can get to that level where there are, are hard metrics that we can point to in the, which in the past we have not been able to define, and we attributed that to an arcane concept as such. The ultimate issue that I think we start running up against when, when we argue on behalf of free will is the fact that at the end of the day, it's hard to bring measurable um, me measurable evidence to the conversation. It's almost like arguing for uh the position that you know god or a higher spiritual entity exists right at some point you start running out of um concise metrics that you can point to to counter arguments about observations that are made uh based off of like a scientific foundation how do you measure or define free will in a way that 
can be uh, implemented as a measurable argument against things like what Yvonne is saying, if that makes sense. Let, let's let's uh, frame the discussion for a second, because I think that might cre be creating some confusion. Sam Harris wrote a book. He said it was indisputable that we have free will. He said that there's no question about it. He cited a bunch of science tests that says the opposite of what he said. I looked at it and said, that can't be right, can it? And it turns out he's making a claim and it turns out that claim is totally unsupported for all kinds of ways that we maybe partly touched on. Sapolsky writes a book, he says, we're determined. Our biology and environment mixed together determines us. It makes us what we are in this moment, okay? They're making claims. I'm saying there's no evidence whatsoever for these claims. And you, 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 you touched on something that's interesting. I say whatsoever because you could take, I think this was part of the point you're making, you can take a lot of fact patterns about, Sapolsky takes them about uh, 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 the frontal cortex and, and this thing happens and you can put an overlay that's deterministic and you can put an overlay from the free will paradigm. And guess what? They both can be read consistent with the facts. That's pretty weird. You gotta think about that for a second. Because then you got to question what constitutes the evidence that's going to tip you one way or the other. If the facts are 100% consistent with free will and not. Take the judges, for example. Okay. Judges tend as a statistical average to get annoyed when there's a bad smell in the um, room. And out of that annoyance that they may, may not be conscious of deals harsher sentences. Okay. I don't see anything remotely deterministic about that. So I don't even know how you lay on a determinist paradigm, except to say that we get irritated when we're irritated because we live in a body and it has its needs, you know, which are very sophisticated, evolutionarily developed influences. But, but, but you can take the overlay that Sapolsky says about all of his nerve stuff uh, and, and look at it from a free will point of view and look at it from a point of view that's an instantiation of various intentions along with a huge host of biochemical and biological influences. But the frame I want to put around this thing is that these two guys are making claims that don't have any support by the evidence and make the most amazing inferences from evidence that has nothing to do with whether you have free will such as you like ice cream, I don't know why I like it, therefore we can't explain ourselves, therefore we don't have free will. These are the kind of arguments. That's one from Harris's book, okay? They're making a case for something. I'm saying they have no evidence. Now, we can talk about whether I believe in free will and what the evidence is for, for free will, but I wanted to frame that this discussion, as far as I'm concerned, comes from a book in which I took the arguments that the best of minds are writing popular books about free will, the best of minds are saying, and it's complete nonsense. I mean, it's so much nonsense is that Harris quotes three neuroscience studies for the indisputable idea or proof that our brains make our decisions for us. And then you go look at those neuroscience studies and they don't say anything of the kind and they refuse to endorse determinism and they warn against taking their, their evidence as being uh, evidence of, of causation. And the correlations that they find are like 
75%, one's 80%. It's got so many flaws, including the fact that it comes from four subjects. I mean, four subjects are gonna tell us about human nature. So they're making a case. And I'm saying it, 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 it's the weakest, most silly, most inconsistent, most irrational, I'm sure I'm gonna get some fan letters from them about this one, uh, pile of evidence. Notice I said pile of evidence. I could have said something after pile of. So, so I'm knocking down some you claims no that are made that, that in my opinion are entirely unjustifiable, not just my opinion. So, so th let me, so let me throw do, you another do you, one. Do you think, do, do you think it's like a matter of like, you know, it, it seems like you're referring to like the confidence of their claims, which, you know, they are very confident. And, and I would agree with you to some extent that the universe is crazy. Reality is crazy. It's very mysterious. We don't know everything about neuroscience. We don't understand consciousness, right? The fact that we don't understand consciousness should should um, make people hesitant to be absolutely certain that free will could could not exist, right? From from a from a purely mm -hmm. kind of scientific stand from a purely uh, uh, empirical standpoint. Um, now, I think if you combine that with philosophical insights, then I think the picture changes a little bit. Um, but I, I, I do agree with you. Like sometimes th they come off as like absolutely confident that there's no way free will can exist. But mm -hmm. on the whole of the evidence at this point in time, I don't see them making kind of these far-fetched uh, – they're, they're not coming to like crazy conclusions in my opinion because I think – we like regardless of what you're saying about the whole causation issue with quantum mechanics i think it's pretty clear that we live in a cause and effect style world and it, it's not a huge leap to start making those connections when we say when we see that okay we have, we're evolved beings we have these innate preferences and then we start to find out things like the size of the amygdala uh impacts mm -hmm. or is predictive of whether you're going to be a psychopath right things like that like it, it, it's not hard to start connecting the dots so i don't think your criticism is, is completely fair that they're they're kind of like jumping to this totally irrational conclusion and that free will is just as justified because i think you go back to occam's razor you say well what is required to explain this phenomenon because under determinism you could explain it and then I feel like you're adding this extra thing saying, but also there's free will. Well, maybe it exists, but it's just like, well, maybe God exists too, but I don't know. Maybe there's the flying spaghetti monster that's going around the moon. I have no way, to, and it's invisible. I have no way to disprove that, right? It could be the case. But I have no way to disprove it. In the same way, that's kind of how I view free will, where like, I don't see what explanatory benefit it's offering other than that we do have an intuition that we have free will, right? What now, is the, that I think. What is the evolutionary benefit of you talking about it right now and us having this conversation? This is this is purely uh, intellectual masturbation, right? It, it is. <laughs> it on. is. It is us sitting here pretending mm -hmm. that we're intellectuals, that we're important, and perhaps mm -hmm. by some status-seeking mechanism, we found we've we've all found ourselves here. Like that's, that's the, there is a reason, even if it seems absurd or we are stupid for doing this. I don't know, but there, there, there is a reason. 
You know, if you Hunter, want to say the genes aren't and let him call us these things, <laughs> well, sit back I, I'm, and take I'm the this biggest pseudo intellectual on on the line. I, I think uh, it, it's more of like oh, a self-loathing, begrudging acceptance. Hey, if you are enjoying this interview, make sure to drop us a comment at the bottom of this video. Make sure to like us, subscribe us, reach out to us on X at radius underscore of. You said something, Levon, that I think is really important. And it's one of the arguments I developed, spent a fair amount of time thinking about it because I haven't heard a lot of it. I heard pieces of it. And I think it was something like, there's a lot of things we don't know. And that figures into some question about whether we can say definitively one way or the other, we're determined we have free will. Something you said along those lines that had to do with some uncertainty about either the state of science or knowledge or something. And you said something like it, it may be one of the only reasons that makes you think that there's still a question about it. I'm saying it in my own way. But I think it's an important point because one of the thing, lines that I tried to develop here is that when you listen to physicists and you read physicists talk about stuff, especially quantum mechanics, but not all, you, there's so much that the current state of science doesn't know. And it doesn't know most about the fundamental cosmic questions there are from the birth of the universe, whether it was born, why is it expanding? It's exponentially expanding. That was only figured out 25 years ago. Before then, everybody got it wrong. Okay, 25 years ago, now we're exponentially expanding. Why? Nobody knows. Dark matter, dark energy. Some people think that that's just mathematical stuff because we've never seen it. We don't know what it is, etc. We don't know how life developed from matter. We don't know if matter is a wave or a particle or a string or a cupcake. We don't know. There's these huge questions. And then you mentioned, or maybe it was Andre, the thing about consciousness. That's even hitting more to home. How can we, and this was leading up to, how can anyone presume to say they don't know if free will exists if we don't even know what the heck consciousness is? And everybody agrees we don't know what consciousness. Sam Harris says somewhere that it's the ultimate mystery. You know, so, so we're leapfrogging over so many fundamental issues. If we don't know what matter is, because we don't know if it's strings or waves or particles or both or neither or something else, how the hell can we know if we're determined because determinist premise on causation and causation has to work on something, but we don't know what matter is. My point is that there are so many fundamental cosmic mysteries that are more important and more fundamental than do we have free will? What, how can those get just swept aside and we can leapfrog over and say, well, free will, which is supposed to be one of the hugest attributes or not of consciousness. Well, we can know that, but we don't know anything about consciousness. We don't know anything about what matter is. And we don't know anything about what, 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 what a causation is supposed to be working on if we don't know what matter is. We don't know if it's a probabilistic universe. We don't know if it's a, a, a deterministic universe. You probably know there's a big conflict between relativity theory and quantum mechanics. They don't mesh. They don't play together. And now we need a new law of physics that they've been frantically trying to get to with string theory and so forth over the past 50 years, but they can't get there because we don't know the laws of physics. We know pieces of them. So, so, so add up all those mysteries, and this is, I'm sort of spinning out what I <clears throat> gathered 
was a, a kernel of what you were saying. And I, and I really think it's an important point. If you put the free will question into the context of what science doesn't know, it's pretty presumptuous to think that you can make that determination on the basis of a world in which we have so many cosmic mysteries. It just doesn't make sense, whether I, you're I, for I, or I, against it, by the way. I, I think I agree with you. I think people should be humble because there there is so much we don't know. And, you know, in in, in 200 years, in 2000 years, we're going to be if, if humans are still alive, like we're going to look like fools today. Right. So um, I, I agree with you to some extent. But I think I think what someone like Sam Harris or, uh, you know, Sapolsky would say to you is, you know, on the weight of evidence as far to, to the best of our ability at this point in time. It doesn't really appear that free will exists. It seems like an extraneous assumption is, I think, how they would perceive that. But I, I don't want to get caught up. I mean, we have been caught up on this. I, I want to start to look at maybe the implications of maybe a society, if it if we find that free will truly doesn't exist, um, like how – or or maybe if we think it exists but it doesn't, like what are the pros and cons here, right? Because like someone like Sam Harris, as you know, he argues that, you know, we can be more compassionate if free will doesn't exist, right? Like, well, that's nonsense. Because people... <laughs> that's complete nonsense. <laughs> because okay. if, we're, if we're determined, we're going to be whatever we are determined to be, compassion or not. I talk about this a lot. It's called having it both ways. Determinists speak half the time as if we have free will and half the time as if we're determined. So if you say that, that we're going to be more compassionate because this or that, you've just thrown out determinism. Because I, determinism I, I, says you're going to be as compassionate as you are determined to be when the Big Bang started and put out this causal chain of events that led to whether you're going to be compassionate or not. So when Harris says these things like we can be more compassionate, what's he talking about? Where did, where did predetermined... I, I think it's it, it's there, there's some conflation here of what they're intending to say. So so they're speaking in terms of like a descript like descriptively, like you would end up the output of the algorithm more or less would be more compassionate, whereas so, you're saying they're, they're, you're saying it's it's more like uh, they're referring to agency, but they're they're obviously not. So I I think it's it's just semantics there. I I don't think I don't think you're it's I, not I, honestly i don't think you're fairly representing how they're it's trying not to convey that you you want to take any quote from harris's book right now and i'll tell you how it presumes free will right now i will tell you any quote you want to flip to that he's presuming that we have free will when he says it do you know that in his book he says we 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 can change ourselves we can change our others we can improve society uh it goes on and on and on well that's we can, because our entire David, our entire like <laughs> semantic framework, languages have evolved in such a way as to communicate agency, right? Everything that that's a part of literally how we communicate. So I, I don't think at a philosophical level, they are referring to those actions in such a way that presumes agency. I think you're interpreting it that way, okay. but that seems okay. like, I think that's an unfair what, what interpretation. Are they, what are they saying? They're saying I that think we they're to be compassionate, sure, that, that's clear if we're determined. We can be caused to change ourselves. Yeah, we can. Yeah. It's not saying anything. It's saying if well, whatever I think, we're But I think that is what they're whatever saying. Whatever we're determined to do that, that started at the Big Bang, this causal chain, we will do. 
So they're not being determinists. A determinist would have to say that we will be compact. First of all, we will give up the belief in free will. That, that's his, his concept, that giving up the belief in free will has made him, I think he's making a personal observation, maybe he's generalizing it, will make him more, will make us more compassionate. It, that, that's how it worked for him. That's fine. Those aren't determinist claims. Those are free will claims. Those, you make those claims if you live in a, a universe that has free will. If you're making a determinist claim and you want to be a determinist, you have to say something very different. You have to abide by determinist principles. It's not a matter of language and the ambiguity. If you're a determinist, you, you can say nothing other than this, that you will drop and change your belief in free will if it was predetermined that you would do so when it was predetermined. And if it wasn't predetermined, then you won't drop your belief in free will, but you have nothing to do with it. You have nothing to do with it. And what follows from dropping that belief in free will is whatever was determined. Maybe it's that you become more compassionate, maybe that you don't. Harris has no statistical evidence of any kind of test that people drop their belief in free will, they become compassionate or they don't. And I'm not even sure he's, he, he's asserting that he does. He was just saying that this is a personal experience and so therefore it doesn't need to happen. You don't need to have tragic consequences if you give up your belief in free will. But he wasn't basing that on any evidence. And what I'm saying is that if you're a determinist, you can't even say that. The only thing you can say at the risk of repeating, you are predestined to drop your belief in free will or not, and it's predestined to have these subsequent thoughts and beliefs and actions happen. That's all you can say. I, I, I understand you what you're saying, but I, I, I think it is an issue of how they're communicating. That, that's the issue you take w w with it, uh, not necessarily um, well, let me give you the, another the brunt example. of their argument. Let me give you another example. Harris says that we can find truths appropriate to the occasion. And he uses an example where he's teaching karate or some sort of martial arts. And he says it wouldn't be helpful, I'm paraphrasing, to teach a class of women uh, in his martial arts class that, that however the fight's gonna come out, it's gonna come out and, and this is what's going on with the victimizer and blah, blah, blah. He says that, that, that really isn't the best thing to do in a martial arts class to say, you know, something like, well, it's gonna work out however it's gonna work out. You're training people to be uh, uh, efficient in taking purposeful action all involving free will, okay? And and he says, well, okay, so so that he, he chose the truth. So he doesn't want to disempower these people and to say, well, it's gonna come out, whatever. That's not his, exactly his way of saying it, but that's the gist of it. No, you pick your truth appropriate to the occasion. So who's picking the truth? If you're a determinist, you can't make any kind of statement like he just said. He just violated determinist doctrine in everything he was saying. You, all you can say if you're a determinist, if you want to say something consistent with determinist principles, is that you will be caused to take a given truth in a given occasion, and you will be caused to believe that that is the most appropriate truth that you can take. His, so his algorithm, his algorithm is emitting outputs that may nudge inputs or end up becoming inputs into your algorithm or someone else's and nudge them to think differently. Anyhow, um, we, we can, we, we can,
table that for the moment. I, I, I do, I do want to make sure we get to this. Um, and, and Andrea, I'm curious to hear what you think about this as well. And maybe you can start us off with it, but what, like, when you envision a society without free will, like if free will, let's say really catches on, right. Um, what do you think will be the impact on society? Like, like genuinely, like at a, at a broad level, like, what do you think that will uh, result in? And we made the comparison when we were we were preparing for this episode. We, we we made the comparison that faith in free will is, is kind of akin to faith in the U.S. dollar. Where, I mean, if you stop believing in the U.S. dollar, there's some serious consequences we're going to experience on like an economic basis, right? There's like a very real, tangible impact that will occur if the majority of the population of the United States loses faith in the United States to effectively manage, distribute, and ensure its supply of currency. I think the same argument can be made with free will, you know, it does it exist, does it not, let's call it TBD. But if collectively speaking, everybody rejects free will, like, like we, like some evidence drops tomorrow mm -hmm. on like an empirical basis that verifies the fact that no, we have no free will. Mm -hmm. What is the immediate consequence we're going to face? on like a civilizational basis? What will it change in terms of how we interact with one another? You know, it's funny. I, I have the exact opposite um, uh, a belief about what would happen and what's going on, I think, than what you intuitively go with. First mm. of all, you say if belief catches on, Levon, I think you were saying this. News flash. Belief has caught on. It's determinism that's the outlier. We, everybody wakes up in the morning, whether they're a determinist or a free willist or a stringist or a whateverist, railroadist, it doesn't matter. You wake up and you lead your lives with the conviction, not just the intellectual thing going on and not just the emotional investment. You lead your lives every moment with the conviction that you have free will and you order everything about your day and everything about your experience are based on the presumption that you have free will. So when you say it catches on, I want to make the point that it's caught on, it's done. We all get up and are convinced that we have free will and it all happens from there. Now, determinists are only determinists in, their, in the head because they get up like everybody else and say, which socks will I wear? What do I do? Should I talk to my boss this day? Blah, blah, blah. Now you can say that's mechanical, but when they're doing it, they believe it's pretty damn real. They're not gonna go and throw a pie at their boss. They act with a conviction that they have free will and it permeates every aspect of your life. So let's start there. I think we disagree with whether free will is gonna catch on or not. I think the question is based on the scientific framework of the last 300 years or 400 since Newton, whether determinism is going to catch on. Right. I and agree with that. And quantum science, it's been rather undermined, albeit with your qualification, Levon, that what happens at the subatomic level isn't necessarily what happens at the macro level. It's one of those huge open questions. I, I think go the, back the foundation of human civilization the foundation of human civilization stipulates that we have free will. I think, I think what is now maybe more, I don't want I don't want to say in vogue. That's why I'm throwing heavy quotation marks up there, but I do think determinism is becoming more of like a, um, uh, something that, you know, a bunch of dudes talk about on a podcast, 
right? The foundations of human oh civilization. Gosh, a bunch of dudes on the podcast. Yeah. A bunch of dudes in a podcast. But the foundations of human civilization presupposes and accepts that free will does exist, right? It's, you, you have, you know, artistic expression is dedicated to that essentially, right? Now, maybe as a caveat to the original question I was asking, David, what what do you attribute to this like rise in in uh, determinist, curious type of of individuals? What is fueling, you know, sales of of books related to it? What what is fueling evidence? Ev well, evidence, hey, on. evidence. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> is, 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 is it something that the is grounded in? Is it a general cynicism that we're experiencing to the human condition? And maybe it's a sense that we don't have control over things that are happening on like economic or geopolitical levels that is fueling a correlated mm -hmm. desire to, to, to like take on more of a cynical approach, so to speak. Yeah, I think it's all of that. I think it's also that there's something very comforting psychologically about an orderly universe where everything has its place instead of this crazy nutty thing that Levon was describing earlier about the chaotic universe. I mean, it gives order and it gives calmness and everything has its place and everything unfolds the way it does. So there's a lot of appeal to it. And then you have the scientific framework, the Newtonian framework is that's how things work. Then you have the evolutionary and biological level which is how do we learn, you know, when we're young, oh, there's a pattern, oh, there's a pattern, things are connected and things recur. And we better learn where the lion is and we better learn where the zebra is because if we make a mistake there, we got a problem in our lives. So we learn by connecting all these patterns. So there's an ingrained- All great algorithms, by the way. All great algorithms fade away. I need to have a complete pletion for that that's clever, but I don't. Like old generals, algorithms fade away. That could be one of them. In any case, <laughs> in any case it, I think it's that, and there's something else that I think you got to throw into the mix of, these are hard questions. Uh, you know, I think this is in a large measure reflecting a much bigger thing going on, which is the science religion thing, the spiritual materialist thing, right? I mean, the free will advocates, consciousness, spirit, liberty, the scientific, materialistic, physical, uh, algorithmic. So you have that going on for, for two or three, uh, millennia, you know, and, and I think you're right. It also has to do with where we are and what's going on. And also, I mean, where are we and what's going on? I mean, we're part of a very, very small, tiny, minuscule percentage of a percentage of people on this planet who are going on podcasts and thinking about these ideas. I mean, when you think about how unique that is, in the scheme of things, you know, you have to put that into perspective and say, well, it, 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 are these tendencies, who are we talking about? Western, advanced, civilized, educated, affluent societies to just put a little perspective. I'm not, I'm not disagreeing with you at all. I'm just saying we can't, we, we also can't get myopic about the fact that we're this little tiny narrow, narrow corridor of people who are interested in this question. I, I will say though, as, you know, we, we get more comfortable in society as people have more leisure time. Um, and as people have less real problems, they start to come up with problems or find new problems, right? 
Uh, and I think free will may be one of them because it, 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 I mean, at the end of the day, it is fundamental, right? It is a fundamental component of human nature. Do we have free will? Are we actually in control? Or is this like, you know, are we, are we in a self-driving car where we're just looking at our hands on the wheels, but we're not actually controlling the car. Like we're just observing this thing. Um, I mean, th this is so fundamental to, to who we are. And, and the, the but my, my personal take on this is I think it could be a disaster if people were to stop believing in free will. I, I think some, I think human beings need delusions. And if it turns out, if it truly turns out to be the case that we don't have free will, which again, at this point in time, if I had to make a bet, I would say we probably don't have free will. Um, I think, I think it, it, it's, it, it's potentially a very dangerous idea. And, um, you know, I guess to some extent we're promoting it by doing a podcast on it. Although thankfully nobody listens to our podcast, so, um, won't be a huge problem, but I just, well, I don't I know. I mean, do, do you get the sense? Do you, I mean, do you guys get the sense that this is potentially a dangerous idea if adopted en masse? Well, uh, I don't, I don't think it ever will be. So in a sense, it's theoretical because again, we get up and where we are in any country, any religion, any culture, you get up out of, out of bed if you can. Um, and you presume with an act with a conviction that you have free will. So it's very hard to believe that would ever happen. But part of the reason I got into this subject is because of exactly the concern that you're talking about, that determinism is a philosophy of disempowerment. You don't control your thoughts. You don't control your actions. You can't influence anyone. You can't make changes in society. You, you don't can't control your improve fate. the world for the better. You don't control your fate. So one question I think you have is, I know you feel, Yvonne, that there's, you're more confident there's evidence in one direction or the other, okay? I'm not, but let's say, let's say that there's no definitive evidence either way. You might not agree with that, but, but Sapolsky, okay sort of comes out there, Harris, it's indisputable kind of language. Uh, Sapolsky is, that's where I come out, but you know, this is a bit tentative and there's some problems with this point of view. So, so let's, uh, can we agree on this? In the absence of definitive evidence, in the absence of compelling evidence that would demonstrate who's right about this, and again, I sort of want to throw out the idea that if it was so clear, we wouldn't really be having this discussion for the last 2000 or 3000 years, this discussion would, wouldn't have been ongoing. But can we agree about this? In the absence of compelling evidence, assuming you can go there with me, why would you choose, no pun intended, but to the extent you have choice or don't, but you think you do, why would you go with a philosophy that says, and I think this is, going where exactly where you're going, that it's dangerous. In the absence of definitive evidence, why would you choose a philosophy that, that is disempowering, that takes away all of your prerogatives and all of your abilities and all of your hopes and all of your dreams and everything that we think would make a better society, which goes to your point. Why would you do that in the absence of evidence? 
definitive evidence, let's say, which maybe we can agree about. I mean, that's the question. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think if you if you put the pros and cons here on a, on a scale, I think the cons of disbelieving in free will and your own agency and and all that and and the disempowerment that it would lead to um, in people's you know daily lives far outweighs any benefits that it seems like people like Sam and and Sapolsky are suggesting. Um, I just, I see, I see their suggestions that, you know, we can have a better, like, I don't know, perspective on life as a result of a lack of free will as a bit like detached from like the human psyche, you know, it's just, it's just, it's just so unhuman, like to think that we don't have agency. It it is literally, and, and, you know, like Sapolsky admits this himself. He's like, I can only act or believe, or, you know, I can only act as if I don't have free will only like a tiny, mm-hmm. you know, percentage of the time. Um, I don't see how he can uh, at all. I had an experiment in the <laughs> book saying, try not to decide something for a minute. Try not to decide something for 10 seconds. How do you do that? You're still deciding to try not to decide something, <laughs> you know? So I, I'd like to know exactly what kind of situations he's talking about. Maybe under anesthesia, he could he could be in a situation where he's not deciding something for a few minutes. But kidding aside, I do like the fact that he has a sort of a humble kind of a mix of things that, that well, we don't, this is very counterintuitive, you know, and that counts for something. Hey, let me throw something else at you, which is, which we haven't talked about, which is really important. It's one of the, most important things I stumbled onto, and I said this at the beginning, claims that determinism is true are contradictory. They don't make sense. They're incoherent. You can't make a claim like that. And the reason is real simple, because if you say that all of our thoughts are compelled, everything that's going on here is beyond our control, right? Determinism, our thoughts and actions are beyond our control. If you say that what I believe here is due to physical causes in a causal chain that went back to the Big Bang, you're saying that what you believe, whether it's about determinism or free will or anything, is what you're caused to believe, okay? So a determinist who says we are determined is violating determinism because the number one principle of determinism is that your thoughts are the product of causal forces. They're not based on evidence. They're not based on logic or deduction. They're purely the result of unthinking physical forces. So what determinism does, and you don't hear Harris address this in his book, and you don't hear Sapolsky address this in the book, is that you cannot make a truth claim if all of your truth claims are are the product of unthinking causal forces. You've invalidated truth. You said the truth is physical. It's a cause. What's going on here is just an epiphenomenon. So determinism has got two conflicting components, and it's called a performative contradiction. There's a recognized Mm. class of claims that contradict themselves, and this is one of them. Um, Not making this up, it's used all the time to criticize determinism. 
the 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 well let me spin it out before you before you tear it down okay. Okay. Let, me, let me spin it up before you pull the worms out so 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 postmodernism there is no truth okay truth is just a means to political power and domination subjugation and all that kind of stuff but there is no truth is a basic claim so postmodernism is criticized all the time wait a second hold on a second time out how can you say there's no truth when you're telling us it's true that there's no truth. That's one of these performative contradictions. It's a contradictory claim. The claim takes away from itself the idea that anything can be true. Okay? That's what yeah, so, so you, you, you Go ahead. Your, your, your premise that just because our, our beliefs were determined by causal processes that they, therefore they cannot be true is, is just totally unfounded. I mean, it cannot be justified. I mean, you can easily imagine a process uh, for example, evolution is that process where um, it, it can naturally, through, through pure logic, I mean, evolution is basically logic applied to to, to or things that are replicating, more or less. Those are determinist. Those are thoughts. I mean, no, I, I don't see what determinism or free will has anything to do with what I just said. Well, what, well what, if you're a determinist, what you just said was the result of causal forces, physical, unthinking, insentient causal forces made you believe that evolution is important. That's what a determinist has to say if they want to be consistent with determinist principles. That's what determinism says. You don't control your thoughts. And if you think your thoughts are true, guess what? That's another thought that you were caused to believe. You're, you're presupposing in your argument that determinism cannot produce true beliefs. And I'm trying to explain why it can through through natural processes like evolution, which will find utility in um in 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 uh in processes in organisms that mm -hmm. yield true beliefs or a true understanding of reality, whether there's free will or not. Okay. And so that so uh you can't say that if you're a determinist i i, I just you what, what is that determinist everything you I, just I don't see because if you're a determinist you have to concede yeah but that doesn't mean it's not I true what right? you just, just because it came but but okay, true, just because train just because really, truth came through an algorithmic process doesn't mean it's false right no it doesn't like, but, but you just had a belief that truth came through an or can come through an algorithmic process. A determinism can't agree with that. If a determinist wants to be consistent and logical based on determinist principles, they'd have to say that what you just said and what you believed is true, the idea that truth can come about through a logarithmic process is just a belief that you were caused to believe it was predestined. How are you not? Bang. It had nothing how are to you? That's how is this not a circular is. argument? I, I don't understand. How is this not it circular? Is, I, I think we're starting to fall in, in, into circular patterns uh, on, on either side of this. Like it, it's starting to uh, evolve and take on a life of its own to a certain extent. It's alien. <laughs> I, I don't like, think anything like, I said was circular, but I, I, I think what David's saying seems a bit circular to me. Oh, really? Okay. So, <laughs> so you were programmed to believe that it was circular if you're a determinist. Let's take it one step at a time, because honestly, it is hard to get into this. You have to. Okay, let's take it one step at a time. 
performative contradiction. Let me give you a couple examples that have nothing to do with, with determinism. Do you see that the criticism of postmodernism, that there's a contradiction or a paradox in saying there are no truths, which is the, which is the core postmodern claim? The criticism is you have just announced the truth, and the truth is there are no truths. Now, if there really were no truths, this is super circular. Uh, if there were no truths, you can't say as a postmodernist, there are no truths. Because you've already said that even that truth claim, there's no truth to it. Do you, if, do you see that the contradiction that the critics of a claim like that are trying to point out as a matter of pure logic? I... I understand where you're trying to go with it. I, th I, I think, and, and maybe I'm not verbalizing my position well enough, but I think if we were to break this down into, into premises into like, you know, a, a, a philosophical argument, I think, I think we'll find the issue with, 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 with one of your premises, but, um, but yeah, maybe, maybe we'll have to, we'll it's have not to table that. It's uh, not yeah. a premise. It's a matter of logic. If you let me try it a different way, because again, this is this is weird stuff when you first come across it, and it was weird when I did too. But if you say nobody knows anything, somebody makes a truth claim. Nobody knows anything. You can see the circularity in which that claim invalidates itself, because the person making it is saying they don't know anything either. So you can't make a logical claim that nobody knows anything because you've just conceded that you do know something. So there's an inherent contradiction. This is what's called the performative contradiction. There are certain claims that invalidate themselves. One way that I, I put it sometimes is that the two conflicting claims of determinism is determinism is true. What I believe true, I have nothing to do with. It's a product of causal forces. Right, but you, you, you bake in the circularity in your argument is that you bake in the fact that the causal forces cannot produce a true belief. That is the circularity in your argument. So no, I think no, I'm saying that if you're a deter if you're a determinist, then you would have to say that the point you just made is coming from causal forces and not because right. And you're assuming yeah. causal forces cannot produce true statements, which makes it a circular argument. No, I'm not presuming that at all. I'm saying if you're a determinist. The conclusion is in the premise, David, your conclusion is in the premise. That's what makes it a circular argument. I, I'm, I, I'm, I'm, <laughs> it's funny. No, yours argument is circular. No, yours is circular. Well, it, it seems like we neither, yeah, we, we have been predestined to be, just this is gonna be a perpetually disagree. That we, we spin a, out to no end. not making a premise. <laughs> you that as a matter of logic you cannot say make a claim like nobody knows anything it's david not a, well it's not david we're gonna have to, to we're gonna have to agree to disagree on this one yeah somehow through whether through through my determinism or your free will we're gonna have to agree to disagree so uh maybe, maybe we'll, we'll, we'll pray to the gods that may be if you're as well a determinist, you have to say well we'll disagree or not was <laughs> determined <laughs> yeah right uh, All right, David, David, you win. David, um, we want to give I you the opportunity. Plug, you uh, in. plug, plug your book. Plug your socials. Uh, this, this is your your chance to to 
engage in some shameless marketing. Okay, I'll be as shameless as I can be. I revamped my book to put in Sapolsky. It was originally a diatribe about Harris and his arguments and how they didn't work, okay? Which is one of them is the one I'm just making, the performative contradiction about which we're agreeing to disagree only because it was predetermined that that would be the case for a determinist. Um, so I revamped it. I put in Sapolsky. That was a hell of a job because he's coming from a very different place than Harris's. And I've, I've retitled it, you all love this, Levon, Debunking Determinism, okay? Because that's what uh, I'm doing or attempting to do, depending that, on what- That sounds as arrogant as what uh, Sam Harris and Sapolsky were doing with free will, doesn't it? Well, I don't want them to out-arrogant <laughs> me. I mean, what, what, what about? I, I want to get in that game. I can be as okay. arrogant as anybody. But the, point, but the point of view, kidding aside, is that, that obviously I believe that determinism is based on a number of false premises and that there's good arguments against it and very little arguments for it at all and, and very little evidence, if at all. So that's why I called it debunking. I also, the original title had to do with, with a critique of Harris's book. And so I made it broader to include them both in determinism in general. So it's called debunking determinism, uh, Robert Sapolsky, Sam Harris, and the crusade against free will. That's my shameless plug and how I got to sort of that perspective, starting with Harris, sort of growing more globally into determinism and then throwing a spice, a little dash of Sapolsky into the mix, which brings in the smells and the judges and the, uh, the face flashes and the 70% reactions with race uh, faces of other races and stuff like that. Um, that's my plug, biochemicalrobots.com is the website. Um, have a bunch of stuff on Instagram and all that kind of stuff, Facebook and, and, and everything that your audience knows more about than I do. So but, it, is, it is your contribution to the existential arms race we're facing down. Sapolsky, of course, dropped this past October. Uh, you're, you're shoring up the side of free will in, in, in this uh, clash of, well, of, of uh, esoteric gods or something like that. Well, <laughs> the truth of the matter is free will is just a better candidate. Can't prove it exists. It's got some problems. You can't prove it exists. It's, it's, it's nobody knows how the heck it could work. It doesn't fit into the current laws of physics, which are very complete. So it's got some problems. It's like God. Basically. The problem is you got to vote for it because of the other candidates are incompetent. <clears throat> the reasons that I haven't been able to convince Levon because that was my mission tonight, and I failed at that mission. So my well, arrogance right. is simple. There we go. Right, final question, David. Final question: Trump or Biden, twenty twenty four? I think it'd be a great ticket to both of them. What do you think? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, bring them together. Bring them together. Oh my God. Would that be like matter and antimatter? They instantly <laughs> annihilate each other. No, I, 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 they're the exact same person at, at the core, right? You, you have rich really? boomers uh, yelling at opposite sides of the spectrum. Let's prove the horseshoe theory. Bring them together on one ticket. Reunify <laughs> the country. But it's hard oh, to God. resist the hair. You know, it's hard. Actually, both of them is hard to resist the hair. But that Trump, you know, Trump, Trump and Biden versus Trump Jr. and Hunter on the opposing side. <laughs> You know what the interesting crack thing cocaine is? Crack cocaine flow freely. 
<laughs> you know what the interesting thing is? And I, I never I talked to my mom about this earlier. The conservatives, as a general rule, as I'm going around talking to people, are really into free will because the basis of capitalism and competition and innovation tilts towards free will as opposed to determinism. Isn't that interesting? And the, the science guys, of course, are against it because that's science and causes and all of that kind of thing. The religious people are also for free will as a general tendency because they believe that that was part of the divine mission. When I started out on this sort of quest or investigation, I didn't see how these pieces lined up at all. So I'm, I'm siding with conservatives and, and religious people of which I'm neither, but the values, it's very interesting, the values of free will versus machines or mechanisms, uh, liberals, Democrats tend to, to, to go, the influences are everything, right? Poverty and everything. So just something to think about. It's a weird alliance. It, it's always nice to have the Christian right next to your side. On your side. So. <laughs> the horse <laughs> theory is yeah. right here. And they want to talk to you, Levon, after this is done. I can't wait. Well, well, David, uh, we, we do have to wrap it up, but thanks, uh, thanks for joining joining us. Um, the thanks the book was very interesting. I think uh, it, it's nice to have someone arguing for free will for a change. So we're glad that you were uh, determined to do that. Um, <laughs> but, hey, uh, yeah, there. <laughs> really appreciate your time, David. Yep, thank you, David. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. Okay, hope uh, you all enjoy the show. Um, if you have been predetermined to hit the subscribe button, like, or comment on the video, go ahead and do that now. Otherwise, fuck off.